Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Matthew. Actually, open up to Colossians. Yeah, let's look up Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. You know, a couple weeks ago, I went through uh, the drive through at Wendy's. And when I did, I got my burger and I gave the cashier exact change. And she looked at me, she smiled, and she said, that hasn't happened in quite a long time. And I said, what? And she said, exact change. Usually you get a debit card, or usually you get, uh, you know, you have to give change back, right? She said, you gave exact change. I gave her $6.38 down to the penny. And off I went. She didn't owe me anything, and I didn't have to wait for my receipt. She said, you want the receipt? I said, nope. Don't even bother, <laughs> right? The less I have to carry, the better. Exact change. That's exactly what Jesus Christ provides to us. He gives us exactly everything that we need. Nothing is lacking. He is completely and totally sufficient for all of our needs. Jesus Christ. Exact change for all of our spiritual needs. Now, just a little bit ago, we saw Savannah there, saw the Rubik's Cube, and we had mentioned that there are over 43 quintillion different variations of this cube. You know, that is a lot like life. There's a lot of different combinations in life. There's a lot of different things that can happen in our lives. But one thing is for sure, that no matter what happens, what we have as believers is that firm foundation known as Jesus Christ. Whatever happens in our lives, we will always go to the cross first. First and foremost, we can take it there. You know, just a few weeks ago when we were on vacation, there was a moment when just one hour before our flight was to depart back home, they said, eh, it's canceled. And there was just a brief moment where we all looked at each other with blank stares on our faces. Where do we begin, right? Where do you begin? That seems to be the question with a lot of things that come into our lives. Where do we start? Where do we begin to pick up these pieces? You know what's ironic is that in the Bible, John records that when Jesus was on the cross and just before he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit into the arms of the Father, he said three words. It is finished. What's ironic is that the completion of the work of Jesus Christ is where you and I begin. It may have been finished for him, but for us, it is just the beginning. And that's what the first point of this message is today, is that it all begins at the cross. I want you to look there on your note cards very briefly. And I want you to look at what our principle is. For Christians, the cross is our starting point. Jesus is our foundation and glory in heaven is our reward, not ice cream. Low. And Jesus provides us a solid foundation that can never be broken, that we can always build on again and again but it all begins at the cross you know 
all those combinations to solve the Rubik's cube or that the Rubik's cube can be mixed up into all of those different combinations. But there's only one right way to solve it. Only one way to solve it where you can get all six sides where the colors are completely the same. There's only one way to do that. And our faith in Jesus Christ is the same way. This life hits us with all kinds of things. Fiery darts that the devil tries to fire off at us. And we got our shield of armor. We've got the the full armor of the faith upon us. And we're able to deflect those darts that he's throwing at us. And there's one way that we can do that. And that is the cross. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that is our starting point. Now, there's two reasons why it all begins with a cross. Number one, Jesus canceled our debt. You know, if you're a fan of the Dave Ramsey show, what he teaches is he teaches principles to help people get out of financial debt. He calls them baby steps. And when people get out of financial debt, they go down to Nashville and they go down to his studio down there and they do what is called a debt-free scream. They scream as loud as they can into the microphone, we're debt-free, sometimes the whole family. And so it's this big commotion. And then they talk about their story and their journey and the steps that they took to get financially debt-free, which, by the way, next week, we're going to have a message on finances, and we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about managing money. So you'll want to be here to listen to that. But there's such a feeling of relief that comes off of them, such a feeling of jubilation, like the chains have been broken off. We're finally out of this debt. Well, financial debt is much different than spiritual debt. You see, spiritual debt is something that we all have. And spiritual debt is something that you cannot buy your way out of. There is only one way to have your spiritual debt taken away, and that is by accepting what Jesus Christ has done already for you on the cross. Look at that verse in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. It says here, Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, how would you feel if somebody just came up to you and wrote you a check for all your debt and said, here you go? That would probably make you feel like, we are done, right? We are finished. No more debt. You know, the trick to that is that even though that person may write the check and be ready to hand it to you, you know what you have to do? You have to accept it. You have to accept it. You have to say, yeah, I'm willing to accept this. And then you have to apply it to those debts. You, you can't go out and just spend it on whatever you want. You got to apply it to those debts. When Jesus Christ nailed our debts, our spiritual debt to the cross, he did that for every person. But every person now has the choice to make. Will I take what he has given and will I accept it? And will I apply it to my life? You see, we have to embrace what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He died for my sins. He has covered them with his blood. My sins are forgiven if 
I accept it. I have to accept it. And then I have to apply it to my spiritual debt. Jesus Christ canceled our spiritual debt for those who believe. Now, spiritual debt, wow, we carry that around with us and it eats us up. It eats us up on the inside. You know, we are living in a culture and folks, we are not, we were not built to carry spiritual debt. God did not make us to carry spiritual debt. He made us to be free. When he made us, he made us perfect. And he said, I want you to be free. I want you to have your spiritual freedom in a loving relationship with me. But we have all of the spiritual debt and we carry it around. Look at the community that we're in. Look at the country that we're in. Look at the world that we're in. All of these problems that we see, all of these issues that are before us are a result of spiritual debt. We have people walking around carrying spiritual debt. All of the sins that they have committed, all of the guilt, all of the shame, everything just keeps piling on. And instead of coming to Jesus Christ to have that debt canceled, they accumulate for themselves more spiritual debt. Oh, I want to get out of this situation, so I'm going to go off and I'm going to do this thing. Maybe they want to mask their sins with drugs, with sex, with some kind of other addiction. There's so many things out there that we can use to try and put away, to try and write off our spiritual debt. But there's only one thing that satisfies the debt. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation, it means a satisfactory payment. Exact change. Jesus went through Wendy's and he paid exact change for your soul. Everything that was needed was done by him on the cross. He did the work. He completed the deed. And now what we have to do is we have to embrace it and accept it. That's the first reason why it all begins at the cross. We can cancel our spiritual debt through Jesus Christ. But he also won us the victory, the ultimate victory on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 says this. He himself bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. Now, if you're in the, in the Bible there in 1 Peter 2.24, there's some things I want you to pay very close attention to. This is talking about Jesus and what he did on the cross. It says here that he bore our sins in his body and that by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus Christ at the cross did everything that needed to be done. You see, we can't get to heaven based upon our own merit. It is only by the merit of Jesus Christ that we can get. You see, that is called get, trying to get to heaven on your own merit. That's called religion. Now, I want everybody to look at me when I make this statement. I am not a religious man. I don't teach religion. I teach relationship. 
a relationship between a human being and God Almighty through Jesus Christ. You see, religion teaches that you can do certain things in order to gain the approval and the acceptance of God and to make your way right with God. But the relationship teaches what Jesus taught, which is why he had all those fights with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. He said, you're misleading the people because you're making them think that by doing these things, that they're going to have a right conscience before God and a right heart with God. Jesus said, no. Jesus said the first two commandments are this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. See the relationship there? It's all about having that loving relationship with God. Now, the traditions and the works, those are motivated by our love. So I'm not saying that by doing things within the church that it's wrong, that it's wrong to do works. No, good works prove our faith. They can prove our faith, as James said. But doing those things and using those things as a way to try and get to God, that's not what God wants. God wants us to have a relationship. And so we don't want to teach religion. We want to teach a relationship, and we want good works to flow out of that loving relationship that God so wants with every human being. God desires us to trust him, have a trusting relationship with him, and to live in that trust with him. So, number one, it all begins with the cross. You remember how Savannah, she saw, first thing she did is she solved the cross. That was the foundation for solving the Rubik's Cube was the cross. And then I asked her, I said, well, what's the next thing that you do? And she said, corners, right? The corners, the cornerstone. Who do we know is the cornerstone? Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the stone that the builders rejected, but now he has become the chief cornerstone. The entire faith of Christianity is built upon Jesus Christ, and we know Jesus to be the rock. Like Jeff wrote, uh, read in that passage there, Jesus is the rock, and we build our lives on the rock, a cornerstone. A cornerstone was a very valuable piece in the ancient times. So the cornerstone was often the heaviest and the largest stone that was set in the foundation, and it was the first stone that was placed on the foundation. It, the cornerstone would bear much of the weight of the building. Now, when I'm, when I'm saying these, I want you to think of Jesus Christ. It's the first stone. It's the largest stone. It bears the most weight. Listen to this. It connects or unites two of the walls. All other stones and their angles are measured out from it. That's a beautiful illustration for life. All of our angles, all of our measurements, Everything that we do is measured off the cornerstone. You see how life really doesn't begin until you have the cornerstone? Living a good and godly life can't happen until we have Jesus Christ as our cornerstone. 
When we try to make another cornerstone for our spiritual foundation, the angles are off. The measurements are off. But Jesus Christ as cornerstone makes our measurements and our angles pure. And the cornerstone was often one of the most solid stones that the builder had to work with. Now, when a builder selected a cornerstone, he carefully selected the best one. And he rejected all others who did not, that did not appear that they would be able to handle the job of the cornerstone. Think about that. God chose the best stone to build upon. And that was the stone that was rejected by humanity. Now think about that for a moment. Does that tell you that we don't know what's best for our own lives? That's right. We don't. The Bible does. God does. He says this is what you need. This is the cornerstone. It may not look right in your eyes, but believe me, it is right. Its measurements are pure. Its angles are true. There is no blemish in it. And it is able and sufficient to carry all of the weight. Any burden that you have, you can lay on this cornerstone and it will not bend. It will not break. It will stay steady, true and strong. That is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Psalm 118 verse 22 says this. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now this verse is repeated all throughout the scriptures in the gospels referring to Jesus Christ. He has become the chief cornerstone. There was a time when Jesus was talking to uh, Peter and he said to uh, Peter, he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, yes, Peter, you have said this. And on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. What was that rock that the church is built upon? It was the confession that Peter made. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And folks, that just is going to blow a lot of religious people away. Because for many, they've been taught that the church has been built on Peter. Well, the church can't be built on Peter. Why? Because Peter was a man. Peter was flawed. Peter was a sinner in need of salvation. Church was built on the confession that Christ is the Son of God. The church isn't built on Mary. Why? Mary was a woman, a human. She was sinful. Luke chapter 1, verse 47. Mary acknowledges her own sinfulness and her need for a Savior. Church can't be built on Mary. Church can't be built on angels. The church can't be built on anything other than Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is sinless. The church can't be built on tradition. The church can't be built on works. The church is built on Jesus. And the confession that Peter made, Jesus is the Christ, the Son 
of the living God. That is what the church is built upon. That is the only foundation that the church can be built upon because it is the only foundation that is stable enough and strong enough and secure enough to build a church upon. Jeff read the passage of the wise and a foolish builder. Now a wise builder is going to build their house on the rock. Jesus is the rock. He's the cornerstone. That parable went on to say that the one who builds his house on the rock is a wise man. He's a wise builder. Because when the storms of life come, that house stayed strong upon the rock. But the one who decided not to build his house upon Jesus, but that decided to build his house upon other things other than Christ, storms of life came and they washed that house away. You see, anything that's not built upon Jesus Christ cannot stand and will not stand in the life to come. What we have witnessed now is nothing compared to what will be witnessed in later times. And only those things that are built on the faith of Jesus Christ will stand before God and will be able to withstand the fire that is coming upon the whole world, which believers in Jesus Christ will be saved from. Now, there was a man, one of the oldest homes in America. Uh, it's built in Guilford, Connecticut. It was built in 1639 by the Reverend Henry Whitfield, and it's a granite house. Uh, Reverend Whitfield and a group of Puritans, they left England. Uh, they were seeking religious freedom, and they settled in the New World and he built this house in 1639, and it was all granite. That house is still there today. Now, he built it out of granite. Now, listen to this about granite stone. Granite's strong because it's mineral grains. They have grown tightly together over time during a very slow cooling period. And the quartz and the feldspar that compose the granite are harder than steel. That house has lasted because its foundation is harder than steel. The foundation that you build on Jesus Christ will last because Jesus is harder than steel. You have heard that Superman is the man of steel. Well, Jesus Christ is even more than Superman. Jesus Christ cannot be tarnished in any way. There is nothing that can break him. There is nothing that can shake him. And so the foundation that we have in Jesus Christ is pure and cannot be broken. You know, we're building a life of faith. I remember Savannah was the first time she put this together and uh, she looked up at me and she said, I messed up. And I said, well, that's okay. And, you know, life is something like that, too. Right, what we talked about, it's like you have this foundation and then what happens? Uh-oh, I'm not going to be able to put this back together, am I? I'm not going to try. I'm just going to show you what life can look like. Right, here we are. Everything's going good. I'm living my life. I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to Bible study. I'm going to church. I'm having fellowship with other believers. Uh, I'm in my devotions. I'm praying to God. Everything's going good. I'm building my foundation on Jesus Christ. Right. I'm being strengthened. My faith is getting stronger. I can feel it. I can feel the fire of the Holy Spirit building up within me. 
And then what happens? Something comes into our lives that just messes it all up, doesn't it? Every time you get a call from a doctor, they found a spot and they want to take a closer look. You get a call from an adult child, they're getting a divorce. Maybe your spouse is having an affair. On your way to work one morning, you're involved in a bad accident. Maybe identity theft has cost you thousands of dollars. Maybe you're trying to have a baby and you can't get pregnant. So many things can come into our lives that can make an attempt to jumble our lives and to crush our faith. But my dear friends, no matter what life brings, no matter how jumbled it feels or how jumbled it gets, we have a firm foundation that we can always build on in Jesus Christ. Savannah demonstrated that very well. When it got jumbled, what did she do? Step one, go to the cross. Start with the cross. Step two, build on the cornerstone. That is our foundation. I said Dave Ramsey teaches baby steps for financial debt, getting out of debt, financial debt. Those are your baby steps for living life. Go to the cross. Build on the cornerstone. Build up from there. Anything that comes into your life, we have those baby steps. And then the final point here real quickly is that her eyes were on the prize when she was solving that Rubik's Cube. She had a few, she had all sides almost complete. There were just a few little pieces left to get into place. And you know when you're nearing the end of something, how exciting it gets, kind of like your faces right now with this message. <laughs> Didn't need that. <laughs> hey. That's okay. I can make fun of myself. But we run the race to win. That's what keeps our eyes on a prize. This is very discouraging when this happens. Man, a wrench just got thrown into my well-oiled machine. Where do I start? Where do I pick up the pieces? Right there at the cross, at the cornerstone. And we're keeping our eyes on the prize. What is our prize? Anybody but Lowell. Heaven. That is right. Our prize is heaven. What awaits us? And so that's our final point there is remaining focused on our prize. Paul, he points this out to the Corinthian church in chapter 9, verse 24. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And in 1 Peter 5, 4 it says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, that would be Jesus Christ, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So we want to keep our eyes focused on the prize, and we want to keep in mind that in the end, we have a crown of glory that awaits us. You see, our faith in Jesus Christ is what's going to carry us across that finish line. And when we get into the heavenlies, and when we come face to face with God, He is going to place a crown of glory upon our heads. He's going to say, well done, you have finished the race. Here is your reward. You know, that crown says very, it's very good, 
But I'm really looking forward to the part where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sin, where we're going to live in a state of bliss with our Heavenly Father and with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. Can you wait for that too? That's right. Amen. You know, I'm ready. I'm ready for that. And so that's what we have to look forward to. And so uh, we've been watching this series. It's called Alone. And it's a game. It's kind of not a game show. It's like a reality show where these folks are put on this island, Vancouver Island in Canada. And they get a teammate and they're put on this island. One of the teammates is put into an isolated location. And the other teammate is put on uh, like close to the shore where they can establish a camp. And so one is beginning to establish a camp and the other is tasked with trying to find and locate their partner. Now the goal is for them to find their partner and to survive 100 days on this island. And if they survive 100 days on the island, then they win $500,000 life-changing money right there right five hundred thousand dollars to survive 100 days we have been watching this and after about 20 days people start to i don't know if i can do it anymore and you know some of the silliest things are happening they're hooking themselves in the hands with hooks it's not even the terrain or the wilderness that's getting them but it's their own mistakes throwing a trot line out, trying to catch fish, and they're hooking themselves. And they're having to tap out because they need medical attention. Or they're dropping logs on their feet or rocks. They're doing all of these things to hurt their own cause. But if they can survive, it's $500,000. Now, you think about that. And you think about the prize that we have in Jesus Christ. We're going to go through this life and there's a lot of ways that we can hurt ourselves and there's a lot of things that the terrain around us is going to cause us to get off path. But what's beautiful about life with the Lord is that you're not alone. You have Him. And He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when it feels like that you're in the throes of a crazy, mixed-up world, and you don't know where to turn, you've always got God. And He is there. We start with the cross, and we build on the cornerstone, and we keep our eyes on the prize. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you, Lord, for the work that you have done in our lives and building on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. At this time, I would like to ask my servers to come forward as we're going to go into a time of communion. And Father, as we go into a time of communion, we want to thank you, God, for canceling our spiritual debt, that by sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross, he took all of our debts, our spiritual debts, all of our sins, and he nailed them to the cross. Father, let us all come to you now before the cross, before the throne. And let us take all of our burdens and cast them onto you. For you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.